on page 1068 of the Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. This starts out with Jesus speaking. Now is my soul is now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to them. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now it is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out? And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even the, of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And now, and excuse me, and I know that his commandment is eternal life what shall I say, therefore? I say as the Father has told me. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just help us to hear what it is that you've put on our on our brother uh, Eric to share with us, and that you would help us to apply, learn, and grow from these words. We thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Well, Pastor Aaron said, if I wanted you to just read the sermon or read the uh, the scripture again, that would be the sermon. So I think I'm going to do that, and then we'll get out of here early and go enjoy the sun. No, I'm just kidding. I can't do that. That would not be true to what the Lord has put on my heart. It's great to be here with you. Let's just begin in prayer. Lord of glory, thank you for this opportunity to gather. Thank you for your word. May we see your glory today. May we encounter you today. Jesus, may you be lifted up in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls. I ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit that you would give me the words to speak. I am completely ill-equipped for this, but you have given me the grace to sit in your word and be with you. Now be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. God does this to you, right? <laughs> so today's, um, excuse me, today's title, God's Glory Illuminates on the Cross. And it's helpful for me to uh, to give you kind of a, a, an overarching main point of the text that was just read by Dave. So here it is in a longer sentence, so bear with me. God's glory was manifested as the hour came for Jesus to be lifted up to save the religious and the Gentiles alike who would believe in the light and not remain in the darkness. I think for today's sermon, the main point that I want to offer you. If we look to Jesus, we will be saved by living in the light of his truth to the glory of God. In Psalm 57, we read David singing out to the Lord as he has escaped from Saul in a cave. His life was at stake, yet as he battled what could be an imminent doom, he sung out these lines, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. And then again, he finishes the psalm with the same, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. For today's message... I desire for you to encounter God's glory in this text. But moreover, I desire for you to encounter God's glory in your own life. And I hope to show you three things. God's glory revealed, John 12, 27 through 36a. God's glory believed, John 12, 36b through 43, and God's glory saves, John 12, 44 through 50. So let's dig in. God's glory revealed. 
So we see, as, as we've come to this setting where Jesus is terribly upset, I mean, to the point where he's, he's in anguish. He was, he was there to identify the, the hour at hand. His, his humanness is really evident because the text so, says that Jesus' soul was troubled. We see this later echoed when Jesus asked the Father to remove the cup while he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, 34 through 36. And it reads like this. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. He's saying this to the disciples. And, go, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, I'm a father. All these things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. That's our Savior. So Jesus begins this scripture with two rhetorical questions he asks himself because of his troubled soul. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? The hour that Jesus was referring to has been an ongoing theme throughout the last 12 chapters of John. The hour was happening as Jesus indicated to the crowd the purpose for which he was sent in verses 27 through 28. However, Jesus desired his Father's glory more than his own. It's interesting to note that the word glory appears three times in verse 28. Once from Jesus and twice from God. In order to satisfy this text, we should attempt to understand what glory is. And it's, it's not an easy one to understand. So while human definitions only go so far, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leverage uh, John Piper, Pastor John Piper, to help me with a little definition here for our sake. He says here, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It's the ongoing public of his holiness. Excuse me, let me, ref let me say that again. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public, that's what I need to say, the going public of his holiness. So God is going public with his holiness. So why was the word glory used? God displayed his glory by announcing what the hour was for. The Father's glory was pronounced with Jesus' obedience to the hour at hand. The glory was a glory of foreshadowing sacrifice and redemption. And they will witness this glory again as the blood surges from the veins of Christ for the forgiveness of sin and rebellion. This repetitive nature of God's glory is on repeat, line after line. But we see this punctuated in verse 32. And let me read for you. And I, when I am lifted, this is Jesus saying, and I, when I am lifted up, from the earth will draw all people to myself. 
I mean, this is, this is a historical moment. This is, this is what the Bible is pushing towards until this time. Crucifixion, the, the, Jesus' crucifixion was a historical moment. And the crowd responded with, with the understanding from the Jewish law on how the Messiah would remain eternally king, but were confused with this son of man verbiage. So let me, let me just get that to you. He said, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answers him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? For clarity then, the Son of Man refers to God's Son, the second person of the Trinity, coming as a man in human form as the sin sacrifice. So the, the believers and the unbelievers alike were waiting. They were waiting for their Messiah, the triumphal king of Israel, to ride in and conquer Rome. And we saw this last week, earlier in chapter 12. But this, is, this wasn't what Jesus had in mind. He was the Son of Man to be lifted up, as foreshadowed in Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, it says here, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Jesus would be elevated to a prominent status and it would happen on a wooden cross bar at Calvary as King of the Jews. And Jesus would be glorified in verse 23. We see this earlier in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, For the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But then the question, we pose the question, how is Jesus dying as a man bring God glory? We can read John 1, 19 through four, 1, John 1, 9 through 14 to help clarify that. It says here, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the glory of God, the Son of Man who needed to be lifted up. But despite the confusion from the crowd of who the Son of Man is, this doesn't stop Jesus from continuing to pursue them. And we read in John 12, 35 and 36, So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you become sons of light. He holds, John holds up this metaphor of light as we read throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus was the embodied truth the crowds interacted with in their midst. 
he pleaded with them to believe in the light, like a light that leads the way in the darkness. Jesus leads the way with absolute truth as he defied the religious in holding up their law with his grace, shattering the idols with his love, and presenting peace during a time of Roman oppression. All was an invitation to live a life contrary to what they knew. Because Jesus was the glory of God. What do you do when you wait out in darkness and uncertainty in your life? Perhaps things are not working out the way you'd hoped. There are challenges with family, with children, getting older, with your life plan, etc. When you look back, and when you look back in time, right before the fall, everything was good. God had purposed working, the value of community, the raising of families, it's all great things. All of this outworking was to bring God glory because he was such a gracious, loving father. But we know that sin disrupted this. It caused a fraction. So now, these achievements can become ends of themselves. And it's, it's an undermining of God's glory. I'm going to draw your attention to Ecclesiastes 2, 18 through 23 to, 23 to help tease this out a bit, a, a bit more. It's, it's the section on the vanity of toil. It reads, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will rise or be, be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled, and I used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. What the preacher is getting at is what we work for and towards can have heavenly dividend or earthly toil. You see, if we try to be everything to our spouse and our children, they will be disappointed and we will be tired. Am I right? If we try to fill a life with busyness, we lose moments of the now to be thankful of what the Lord is doing in our lives. If we reflect back to our younger years of what we could have done or shouldn't have done, we miss out on the upward call we have in Christ Jesus as Christians. Why? Because we've lost sight of God's glory in our lives. We've forgotten our first love, Jesus. But 
as a son or a daughter of God, you've experienced the ultimate glory of God as he gave you Jesus as your Savior. You've experienced, verse 32, and when I am lifted up, from the earth I will draw all people to myself. You've been drawn to Jesus. You've become sons and daughters of light. So look to the light as you live your life. This scripture couldn't be more applicable in my own life as I've taken on the responsibility of loving my mother. And I've mentioned this a bit that she's transitioning from Boise, Idaho to Vermont to live with us, to spend the remaining years of here, to encounter and spend time with her kids, her grandkids. And we want it to happen now, but we want to make sure that we're living our life to the glory of God. And so we've had to pray together over the, over the phone, asking the Lord to give us patience, to help us toil well, with these challenges that are ahead of us and to trust him that he has a plan for us. So we've seen the glory revealed, God's glory revealed. Now let's switch to God's glory believed. It appeared when Jesus shared the profound truth that he made himself so scarce that those who were pr present could meditate on what he said. So let me read what it says here, it says, When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. So Jesus wanted them to have some time with what he had just laid at their feet. Remember, the main emphasis of the Gospel of John comes from John 20, 30-31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have the life in his name. You see, despite all these miracles and signs that were performed, many didn't believe in Jesus. Because it says here that though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So why was this the case? God's sovereignty was exercised and explained with the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what Isaiah said. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, for again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So here's the gist that Isaiah is getting out. Isaiah asked two questions to the Lord, who has believed? And what and who has the Lord revealed himself to? Isaiah answered his questions with the revelation from God that we find in verse 41. It says here, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory, that's the Lord's glory, and spoke of him. 
No one has believed without the Lord first initiating belief. What was true for the Israelites during the time of Isaiah, who he was addressing, was also true for the crowd that Jesus was addressing. And I think it's important to take a minute and discuss the theological concept at play here. And this concept is called sovereignty. And again, I'm going to lean into someone smarter than me. As J.R. Packer describes sovereignty, it's a little bit of a long quote, but I'll, I'll try to pause so you can contemplate what he's saying. It says here, the, the, the assertion of God's absolute sovereignty and creation, providence, and grace is basic to biblical belief and biblical praise. God's dominion is total. He wills as he chooses and carries out all that he wills. And none can stay his hand or thwart his plans. That God's rational creation, creation, creations, angelic and human, have free agency, power or personal decisions as to what they shall do, is clear in Scripture throughout. We would not be moral beings answerable to God the judge were it not so, nor would it then be possible to distinguish as scripture does, between the bad purpose of human agents and the good purposes of God, who sovereignly overrules human action as a planned means to his own goals. It's a lot to sink in. But what we see here is, for God's purposes, some believed in Jesus and others remained in the darkness that consumed them. Still, Jesus pleaded for them to believe. Either way, it is all for God's glory and his glory alone. As we continue to re read, we read that some of the Jewish authorities did believe, but because of the pressure from the Pharisees, they held their belief in secret. Verse 43 explains why. For they loved, so it says here, Nevertheless, many of even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So they would, would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. The fear of the Pharisees outmarked the fear of God because their glory was in man, not God. We also saw this fear of man with the parents of the blind man early in, in, in the Gospel of John in chapter 9, where they feared the Jews and getting thrown out of the synagogue. Belief was a miracle and a gift of God's glory. God's glory is belief. So some of you may be wrestling with this, asking, how does this text impact me? Maybe there are thoughts swirling around your head about God's sovereignty being fair. 
How can this be that some, maybe you're thinking, how can this be that some believe and some don't? But it's up to the Lord that makes belief and unbelief happen. And that's, that's a right, that's a right uh, position to be. But let me pause here to encourage you with Scripture. The beauty of the truth of God. We read in, in Jonah, as Pastor Aaron mentioned that we will be in soon, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah proclaimed this at the end of his prayer once he realized his place with God in chapter 2. It was nothing Jonah did that caused the Lord of grace to send a fish to swallow him up, to save him from drowning, but it was out of his love and compassion. It is the kindness and the mercy of the Lord and the Lord only who can beat the evil battle of unbelief. As Paul says in Romans 3, because no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. But God steamrolls the evil darkness of unbelief with the glorious illumination of his Son. So we read in John 6, 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. As I started working through this sermon, God put this scripture on my heart early on. It's out of Hebrews 12, 1, 2. And the writer gives such a good picture of God's divine sovereignty and, personal, and our personal responsibility. And it reads here, John 1, excuse me, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, least let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, as the result of what Christ's done, we are his children. And Ephesians 1, 11 and 14 beautifully give this picture. In him we have maintained inheritance, having, be pre having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Sometimes we tend to insert what we think God should act like based on what we understand. But God doesn't operate this way. We ought to read his word and marvel in it. And as the prophet Isaiah says in 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts.
And this couldn't be more true than my personal testimony. So many of you have heard it. But another version is that I hated God. I hated Christians. I thought you were all weak. And God had another plan. And he caused me to believe. And I couldn't be more excited to believe in Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. But there were people praying for me. There were people loving me despite my not loving them. Ultimately not loving God. And he saved my soul. And caused me to believe. And then I went, what the heck is going on now? And I've been on a ride since. And I'm standing up here, which just blows my mind. God's glory revealed. God's glory believed. God's glory saves. So John 12, 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. At this angst-filled moment, Jesus exclaimed to a different crowd. These were Jewish religious, the Jewish religious familiar with the synagogue. Jesus was shouting with volume, with passion, for those to see God the Father in him. They were sent, he was sent with all authority. He was given, that was given by God the Father because time was running out. The hour was at hand. I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. John 12, 46. I don't, maybe this is obvious to you, but have you noticed the word associations? Right, excuse me, light and um, belief and darkness and unbelief. Like they keep working in tandem. Because Jesus describes his mission to be the light of the world. And those who believe would not remain in darkness of unbelief. But Jesus was very clear that in order for belief to occur, the Jewish crowd needed to hear his words and not be judged, to not be judged. If they didn't, those, if he didn't, if those didn't hear his words, and didn't obey them? No. Let me see. Typo. Helps to reread. If those that heard his words didn't believe his words would be judged by the Father. Why? Because Jesus came to save, not to judge. Jesus was not only the messenger of truth, but the light that points to it. So the crowd needed to hear his words. And they needed to believe in his words. What were these words? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God reigns on him. John 6.36 And why 
Did he say this? Why, why does this need to be re repeated over and over? Romans 2, 16 sums it up. On that day, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Jesus was pleading with the people, let me die so you don't have to. Believe in me. I am the light. Let me fulfill the commandment the Father has sent you through me to receive eternal life, and I will be condemned for you. And to end this chapter, let me read Romans 5, 20 through 21. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded more, all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just let that sit. Grace is greater than sin. Righteousness is what we're offered. And eternal life is the way we'll live through Jesus. Have you been listening to the world lately? There's so much hurting and crying out over public policy, political unrest, and personal freedom. More recently, I'm sure you're all aware of this, depending on which, which side of the argument is supported, there was celebration and heartache with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Certainly, as evangelical Christians, we see the unborn human life as sacred, divinely appointed with value, dignity, and worth. And we celebrate this. And we celebrated when we learned of the news. But our posture shouldn't be gloating, but we should be poised with sobriety and tender hearts that this, pro that this policy was overturned. Because it has divided and has grieved our country. You see, those that are on the other side of the issue are image bearers. And they need the same justice, mercy, and love that we, the church, can offer in the gospel. We should be broken for how this, this policy divided our country. But at the same time, we want to hold up the value of life. Here's another outcry. As we look down the barrel is the outstretched personal freedom as described by self-determination. This only opens up to unlimited possibilities for one to identify, or find equality. There is a sense where the rights of the individual supersede the, the rights of the whole. Regardless of, of our personal opinions on these matters, Jesus is crying out. In verse 44, we see our Savior crying out. I'm going to read it again. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. 
The answer to the world's problems and confusions is the glory expressed in the sacrificial substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the answer for us, as we become defensive and, and, and we hold up arms against others who don't hold to our proclivities and belief, and, and these, these wonderful truths is the same. We need the same gospel. See, Jesus is crying out for us as he says, I have come into the world as a light, so whoever believes in me cannot remain in darkness. Only through the light of his truth will God's glory illuminate our heart illuminate in our hearts. O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Micah 6:8. And in another scripture, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isaiah 1, 17. These are scriptures that we can, we can hold up in our hearts as we love the hurting world, as we rejoice on what God is doing. I reflect back on a a little video that I watched on Lingener Ministries reporting on a church ministry involvement with an abortion clinic somewhere in the south. And they were there. They were there to love those women that went into the clinic. They were there to pray that the Lord would grab a hold of their hearts and they would say no to abortion. Some of them had an abortion. But the people kept praying. And this one experience really floored me. These people saw this, this couple went to this woman that was walking in and they, they kind of got in between her and the door and they said, you know, we, we love you. We want to we sit with you and pray. She was, she was crying. She's like, I need, to get the, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. Like, we we want to be with you. We want to pray. Can we pray for you? And she said, I just need you to leave me alone. So she walked into the clinic the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of her heart. She came out the back door because they were like, I guess we're done. So they were at the back side of the clinic and she walks out the clinic. They couldn't believe it. And she says, I didn't have an abortion. I don't know what to do. It's like something came over me. I don't want to have this abortion. And they said, praise God. And they ran to her and they loved her and they prayed for her. She came to faith in Christ. I think it's important that we don't lose sight of who we are in Christ. We've, we've experienced the glory revealed in the Son for our salvation. We've, we've, we've believed because of God's glory. We've, we've been saved because of God's glory. God's glory is short of, of profound. Nothing can function without revealing it no one can hold back the glory of the Father. We encounter God's glory in a sunset at Camel's Hump. We hear a red cardinal sing in a mating call. That's God's glory. We experience God's glory tasting fresh maple syrup right after it's boiled. And in the aroma of summer flowers, wildflowers. These are some of the ways God's glory bursts forth 
as I think of, of, of David just calling out, Lord, let the heavens bring forth your glory. But the premier exaltation of his glory is in his son. When we read in verse 23, and I, when I am lifted up above the earth, I will draw all people to myself. All different kinds of people. The God of glory will draw these people to himself. And Jesus is hearkening John 14, 6, because he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's glory is punctuated in the Lord Jesus as he saves sinners. So they, they don't have to walk in disbelief. Are there some in here that are walking in disbelief? You've heard from my lips, which are from Jesus' lips, the authority of God. I've shared the truth of God. It's His glory that I've given you. Look around this room. This is a working example of God's glory of salvation. If you don't know Jesus now, I, I, I plead with you to believe in the light. For those that know Jesus, don't let go of the light. Go to the light when things are rough. We're going to find life in his glory. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your glory. Thank you that we have no ability except through your grace to believe. And we thank you for letting us believe. We thank you that we can sit here under your word, Lord, and experience your glory manifest in the Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for giving him up for our sake. And Lord Jesus, thank you for being our substitution. And thank you for Holy thank you, Holy Spirit, for allowing us to believe all this. So we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. And we give you all the praise, honor, and glory.